0: Well, Peter Gibbons one day came to a realization about his job, that all his toil, all his work, all his labor, it was all meaningless. And he finally told his boss, I'm done coming in on Saturdays. And then human resources sat him down and said, tell us about your work. And Peter said this. Well, generally, I come in at least 15 minutes late through the side door, so my boss doesn't see me. Then I just sort of space out for about an hour. I do that probably for another hour after lunch, too. So I'd say in a given week, I probably only do about 15 minutes of real, actual work. Some of you realize that I'm quoting the cult classic, Office Space, which is an amazing movie. Um, Don't see it with your kids, but um, it's a great movie, Office Space, and uh, Peter Gibbons, this character in this movie, has come to an Ecclesiastes kind of moment about his labor, a moment that says, it is all vanity, it is all meaningless. Well, what are we to make of our work, of our labor? Is it meaningless, meaningless? Do we just space out at work? Do we just say, I only really do about 15 minutes of actual work per week? Do you resonate with Peter? Well, let's see what this other Peter says, shall we? Koheleth and Ecclesiastes about labor. Chapter 4, verses 4 through 16. It's pretty in your worship guide. Let's pay attention as we look at God's word together. Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, For whom am I toiling in depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity in an unhappy business. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls." and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been been born poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with the youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after wind. Herein is wisdom. Well, if you're just joining us, we are on a quest, a quest for meaning, that this teacher, this wise man, this preacher, as it is said in the English, Koheleth, is taking us on this adventure for finding meaning in life. And he does that by observing the world. Surely, he will find meaning in our work. In our labor, he will find meaning there. Obviously, he can find it in our work. Well, we see that he does this adventure of looking at work, this quest of looking at work in this chapter. And you see, he says, I saw, I observed, and he's observing many different areas when it comes to work and to labor, And he says constantly that he sees things under the sun. Now, what does it mean that he sees things under the sun? What he says is, I am just observing what is in the material world. I'm observing experiences. I'm uh, observing things that we see and touch. I'm not taking into account transcendence or the supernatural. I am just taking into account what I can touch and see. Just the physical world. What is under the sun? Well, that idea might sound very philosophical to you. Might sound like, well, I don't live in that kind of thinking. Of just living life under the sun. But I do wonder, if many of us live our lives like it's just under the sun. Do we really believe our actions have meaning? That there's actually purpose in changing a diaper? There's actually someone out there above the sun. There is some transcendent beating that is looking at me while I'm filling out another spreadsheet at work. I'm moving another work, rock at my job I'm painting another wall, whatever it might be, there is actually a God that is watching and cares and there's purpose in it. I do think that many of us live our work not thinking that it is above the sun. There's a God that's watching and cares and has purpose behind it. And Koheleth is saying, I see all work that is under the sun. All this negative word he used, toil, is what he uses for it, is vanity. See, this is not idea of toil just being work. Toil is idea of labor and energy, where we are spending our time. Toil could be house projects. It could be time walking the dog. It could be running races. It could be spending time on Minecraft. That Some references to kids, Minecraft, yes. Uh, maybe adults too that play Minecraft, yeah. It's untangling fish lines. It is This labor of life, this energy that we spend. And again, ten times before he gets to chapter 4, he's calling this toil, 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 a negative spin on work. He doesn't use the word productive. He uses the word toil. Great, you say, more depression, Dan. That's what you brought me through in Ecclesiastes, this depressing book, and it's nice outside, and I could be doing something adventuresome, but here I am talking about depressing things in Ecclesiastes. Well, guess what? Here in chapter 4, we're starting to see things not just under the sun, but Koheleth is starting to give us observations of things above the sun and the key word that starts us to see things above the sun is this word better better he uses it four times in this chapter And what he's saying by better is he's saying there are things that are eternal. There is a perspective that gives meaning to labor. There is a different way to look at your work to see it as better. Now we're starting to see it glimpses above the sun. So my question for you this morning, if you're checked out, here's time to pay attention. Here's the points. How does looking above the sun change the way we look at the effort we exert in life? How does looking above the sun change the way we look at the effort and toil we spend in life? Three things. One, it brings contentment versus envy. Two, we become teachable versus stubborn. And three, it gives us partnerships. Versus lonely pursuits. Contentment versus envy, teachable versus stubborn. It gives us partnerships versus lonely pursuits. Well, let's look at the first one, shall we? Chapter 4 again, looking at verse 4. Then I saw that all toil, and all skill and work comes from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. Here is keeping up with the Joneses in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes say there's nothing new under the sun. They're right. This is all the way 2,000 plus years ago, keeping up with the Joneses. And he's saying that all your hard work is just being able to compete with your neighbor, to compete and have envy over what they have. You have to keep up with them, and that is why you work so hard. And it, it, it's not like he says sometimes, he uses the word all. It sounds, it sounds like he's being hyperbolic here. He's exaggerating by using all there is, is this envy of neighbor. That is all that work is. You say, how can he say that? Well, what he's saying is he's looking at life again under the sun. If there is no transcendence, if there is no God, if there is nothing above the sun, then all that we have is right now and here. That's all you got. So you are going to try to squeeze as much as you can out of this life. Get as much experience, as much stuff, because that's all you got. And then when you see other people have got more stuff, or more experiences, or enjoying more things, you go, I want that too. You say, that's not me, right? Oh, come on. Facebook envy? It's real, folks. What? They're taking another vacation in Hawaii? What, they actually get to take their kids out to a meal? We haven't been able to afford a meal out with our kids ever. Jamie Enberg's parents. They had a Jeep. And they had a cassette tape in the Jeep. I remember, I was like six or seven, we could listen to Duran Duran anytime we wanted to, riding with his parents. You know what's so crazy? My kids now, if they see the cassette tape in our car, they go, what is that? <laughs> and it's actually embarrassing to have a cassette tape in your car nowadays. But doesn't that prove a point? What we strove after 20 years ago, that we spent so much money on and labor on to get those things, 20 years later, many of those things are just Obsolete. Heck, you get a phone grade every two years. So every two years what you might be striving for is obsolete. You see, it's vanity, it's toil. All this work you do to get this thing, it just, is no point in that thing later on. C.S. Lewis says it so well. He says, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next person. It is the comparison that makes you proud. The pleasure of being above the rest. Once the element of competition is gone, pride is gone. All you care about is what other people have and competing with them. And once they're not after that thing, you don't care anymore. Vanity. 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 You see, this kind of thinking of looking at life under the sun and your work and your toil, it does two major things to us. One, it destroys our joy for work. We are not content in the gifts that God has given us. And many times we take jobs that don't fit us because we want more stuff. We're discouraged by the jobs that we have and the gifts that we have. We have to be something more. Oh, if I was only a physician. Ironically, physicians probably were on the bottom rung of society 200, 300, 400 years ago. They weren't making a ton of money. Rather than just being who you are, you were made to be a teacher or whatever it might be, a mom. That is what God has gifted you as. one, it destroys your joy of work rather than being content how God has made you. You are always looking at what I could do more to earn more. Two, it becomes a barbed wire fence to relationships. Rather than rejoicing in other people's gifts, we are jealous And the thing is, we don't see the gifts that God has given these people and rejoice in them. And then we can't even relate to those type of people. Oh, they live on that part of town. Or they live in that kind of house. They have those kind of vacations. See, The gospel says we don't see things just under the sun. We start to see things above the sun. That my value doesn't come from my paycheck or my stuff. That a person who works at Quick Trip is as much as valuable as a person that works at Lawrence University. Under the sun, it would say, no, they're not equal. But above the sun, we say they are. Isn't that a picture of the church? That we can be together, together, whether you work at Lawrence or QuickTrip, wherever you are, you too are a sinner given gifts by God for His purpose and for His reasons. And you can rejoice together and sit next to each other and sing together and maybe even eat and fellowship together. Well, The pendulum can shift very quickly to the other way. Look at verse 5. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. See, the fool says, I'm not playing that game of competing and toiling and working. Forget that. I'm just going to sit and be lazy. You know, Some would say that pride is what drives the person to work so hard, but I think pride also is what drives us to laziness. Laziness is the pride of a bruised ego. I can't compete with others, so I'm not going to try. Rather than looking above the sun and saying, There is one that's made me for a purpose. And this poetic description that Koheleth used is so, I mean, jarring. He eats his own flesh. It's the idea of him wasting away. It's probably not literal, although sometimes people playing video games for eight hours straight are probably wasting away. But it's probably the internal wasting away of bitterness. The world is against me. Self-pity. This too is vanity. But there is something better. Look what he says. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. Again, a beautiful image. Here he is saying this idea of quietness is probably the idea of contentment, of peace. And he's showing an example. There's a the one that toils. They have two hands, right? They have all this stuff that they're working and gathering. They have two hands of stuff. But the person that is quiet and content and peaceful has less stuff because he just has one handful. I love what Chesterton says. He says, There's two ways to get enough. One is to accumulate more and more. The other is to desire less. I'll say it again. I'll let you sit in it. There's two ways to get enough. One is to accumulate more and more. The other is to desire less. See, when you start seeing a better way, start seeing above the sun, you then start holding your fist and your hand, clinging on to something else than just stuff. You start holding to the Lord for him to give you peace and contentment. Let's skip down. We'll get back to the middle section, but I want to go to this next section first. Verses 13 through 16. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne Though in his own kingdom he had been born poor, I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who came later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and is striving after winds. You know, the truth is, What Koheleth observes about life, about work and toil and all these things is incredibly sad. What's incredibly sad is he's observing people that have worked and toiled their whole life and then when it's all said and done, the value that they were trying to find in all that they were accumulating just slips through their fingers. It's vapor, which is the word vanity. It is an enigma, a mystery that they cannot grab onto. And here, what is sad is, here is this king. An old king, probably waiting for this time he's arrived, right? He's the king of all this kingdom. And here comes this upshot young buck, from prison no less, poor, that takes the crown. Oh, all this work to be king, to finally arrived and gone. Vanity, vanity. Vanity. And this, he says, what was better? What was better is no longer knew how to take advice. See, this old king, he doesn't need to learn anything else. He's on top of the world, he says. I don't need, there's no one above me. (laughs) I mean, I am the tippy top. I am next to the sun. He worked to get here. Now he doesn't need to hear from anyone else. That's the kind of worldview he's living. Now the advice here isn't to be a young upshot that takes advantage and takes advice so that you can become king. No, what does it say later in this passage? Even this young king one day will no longer be king and all people will forget about him. The point is this, whatever position that you're in, even if you think you're above everyone else, you will one day no longer be in that position. There is one above you. I mean, some of you know this, I, I worked in politics for a while and I just kind of sometimes laugh at the anxiety people have about politics right now. Because there's nothing new under the sun. I remember 1997. I was working on Capitol Hill. Probably one of the coolest things I got to do. I got to go to the State of the Union. And uh, sitting there in the chambers, the State of the Union is right after the Monica Lewinsky thing broke. (laughs) It was crazy. It was crazy. The kind of booing and chanting that happened on the floor. It's uh, quite an experience. And here... Newt Gingrich is going Speaker of the House, if you didn't know at that time, going against Bill Clinton, and there's all this tension and problems. Newt wants to be able to control the House, and he's pressing the advantage on this um, this, uh, affair scandal, and all this stuff is happening, right? And they try to impeach um, Bill Clinton. And uh, what's crazy, just a year later, Newt Gingrich loses his speakership. And he loses his speakership because another Republican, Fred Livingston, thinks that Newt wasn't doing a good job trying to take his job. And then Fred Livingston found out just a few days later after he was going to be speaker, they found out he has had an affair himself, and then he has to resign from his job. The cycle just goes and goes and goes. It doesn't end. You climb and you climb and say, once I'm in this position, then I'll be able to rule. Then I will be able to be fine. Then I won't take orders from anyone else. See, that is living life under the sun. I love the word John Calvin uses over and over again in the Institutes. The word he uses for Christian character is teachable. Over and over again, teachable. You see, when you live like there is one that is above the sun, that there is no matter what position you're in, there is one that is above that I have to fear him, I have to stand in awe on him. There are rules that even govern me no matter where I am. You can take advice from other people. You can take criticism from other people because you realize you're not on top. Bosses, that means you can listen to employees. Parents, that means you can say you're sorry to your kids. Husbands and wives, that means you can say, you were right, I was wrong. You know, you've heard me say this before, and I'll say it again. As you grow older, you should not grow more crotchety and stubborn in the Christian life. You should grow more teachable and humble. Should you not? Because you realize more and more how great God is and how you are not. Okay, so content versus envy, teachable versus stubborn, and then we get this rich one in the middle that's for some reason read at weddings over and over again. If you, want it, if you had it at your wedding, that's fine, but that's not really what it's talking about, okay? Okay. You say, well, it says two people lying together, right? Well, actually, the two people lying together in that culture, people slept together. You know, brothers did, friends did. That's what you did. Moises and I slept together at a retreat one time. See, that's what brothers do. I just admitted that to the whole church, Moise. Just steal that. But here he says he's observing this in verse 7. What did he say? I saw this. I saw one person he saw someone alone. A person that was never satisfied with riches. They were working and working, and all this work they had cast off everyone around them. And the sad part of it is this, that finally their eyes were awaked, and they go, why was I doing all this in the first place? J. Paul Getty, uh, probably at one point in time, the richest man in America in the 20th century. He fits this description that Koheleth gives in verse 7. Getty gives us great quotes. I encourage you to read Getty's quotes sometimes. He says this, If you can actually count your money, then you're not a rich man. He lived like all that mattered was what was under the sun, what was in the material world. There was nothing above the sun. Again, he said this, The meek shall inherit the earth, but not its mineral rights. An oil tycoon saying things such as that. Well, J. Paul Getty was married and divorced five times. His son, by his fifth marriage, died at the age of 12. He didn't attend his funeral. His first wife probably gave us the quote, he's married to his work. He said, lasting relationship with a woman is only possible if you are a business failure. Lasting relationship with a woman is only possible if you are a business failure. See if all there is is this material world. Eat, drink, and be merry. Don't slow down. Get what you can. Don't let someone get in your way in a marriage, in a relationship. You're you gotta get somewhere. You gotta get something. But here, Kohela says, No, there is a better way than this. What does he say? Two are better than one. With two, you can with another one you can get picked up. With another one, when you're attacked, you have someone to, to help you out. See, this is starting to see things above the sun. You're starting to see that with people, there is something that is not just temporal but eternal. With people, they are made in the image of God. There is something about them that is eternal. There is a soul in them that will be forever. When I am in relationship with them, I am connecting to something that is above the sun. See, I get it. I get it as Getty. He might be right. You might be a failure if you live this different way. Because relationships with others causes you to have to slow down. If you have kids, you realize life is no longer about you. Hopefully you realize that. And in that, in slowing down, in serving others, in loving others, in bearing with others, do you know what You're seeing, you're starting to get a glimpse of the very nature of God. Did God stay above the sun? No, he came under the sun. And he bared with us. He cared for us. He gave to us. He didn't say, oh, they're a burden. I'm out of here. No, you see, when we start seeing relationships with others and start living life like that, that it's not about our own pursuits, we're starting to get a a glimpse of the very nature of what is above the Son, our God and Father. Who loved us so much, He sent His Son. And what's ironic, that J. Paul Getty, at the end of his life, finally observed Kohelis observations and he said this I hate to be a failure I hate and regret the failure of my marriages I would gladly give all my millions for just one lasting success in marriage I get to make this application today, okay? I get to make this illustration today. Carol's not here, so I get to brag on Bruce and Carol a little bit, okay? If you don't know Bruce, Bruce Marker is an elder in our church. Right now, this moment, he is breathing his la- literal last breaths before he dies. You might not know this, but Bruce and Carol used to live in Delaware. He was a pastor in Delaware. He worked in Delaware for the state, and then he became kind of a counselor at a church. And they retired. And they could have had the typical retirement. They had an option to go to a place they loved to go to vacation in Maine. And they could have retired up there. Could have lived, you know, whatever you do in retirement, you know, golfing or whatever you do in Maine, the retirement stuff, right? But by some reason, by God's providence, by what was going on in their hearts, they decided to move to Wisconsin <laughs> for their retirement, to Appleton, Wisconsin. How many people want to move to Appleton, Wisconsin for their retirement, Okay. Some, yes, thank you, Steve. Yes, there's some that do. That's awesome. I do, right? Appleton, Wisconsin, retirement. To be around Carol's parents who are elderly. But you know another reason they moved here? They moved here to be around this church. Before they came, they said, We want to make sure any decision we make to be around a good church. They came from a big church in Delaware. We want to help in a church plant. So what did Bruce Marker do with his retirement? He spent time with you. Sinners. He became an elder. Let me tell you something. Being an elder is not sexy. Okay? It's not, I've got some power now. I can rule the church. No, it is being in people's homes and crying with them. It is dealing with the ugliness of people. And that's what he did. You see, if you live life under the sun, those decisions by Bruce and Carol make no sense. They make, that makes no sense at all. But if you were there on Thursday night when we sat, we were in a circle standing singing to him in his wheelchair at the nursing home, you got a glimpse of something better. You got a glimpse of something above the sun. As we sang, Kim Borden was telling me someone was, a couple were visiting that new Bruce from serving at the Salvation Army, and through all this singing and rejoicing and all these people crowded in this room, this person said, Who are you people? Who are you? Do you know who we are? We are people transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ that start to see things not just under the sun, but start to see things above the sun. And you started to see things that were better, things that were eternal on Thursday nights. That here were people that Bruce invested in, spent time in. He didn't live life for himself. He saw what was eternal and what mattered. And then we were around him together, rejoicing and singing. What did we see? We saw a picture A glimpse of what was above the sun. But let me tell you, Christian, one day you will not just see something that is better, you will see something that is best. That you will no longer see through a clouded lens. You will no longer see through tears where you're, it's blurring your vision. But you will be above the sun and you will see clearly, face to face, Jesus Christ. And then all the toil, and then all the work. And all the things here will be seen clearly. Because they were not just lived for what was under the sun, they were lived for what was above the sun. Is that how you see your work? Is that how you see your toil? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give us eyes to see not just the material world, but we would see the supernatural. We would see what's transcendent. That we would see that there is purpose behind what we are doing on this earth. And God, I pray for those people here that are living life like all there is is what's under the sun. God, let it not be too late for them. Let them have eyes to see and make their hearts ablaze to what it means to follow the risen Lord. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.